one in nine women of reproductive age will experience endometriosis and it is also one of the leading contributors to infertility. In fact, most women actually won't know they have endometriosis until they go down the path of trying to get pregnant and then find out they're having infertility problems and yeah, basically go down that route and um, end up with a diagnosis of endometriosis. Hey guys, welcome to the Happy Way podcast, your go-to place for all things fun, happiness, well-being, growth, trust and diversity. I am your host, Melissa Fideli, and I am here to inspire and connect everyone who chooses health and happiness so you can be your healthiest self and live life the happy way. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us again today. This week on the podcast, we have Emma Creek, who is back for another great episode. You may remember Emma from a previous episode where we talked about balancing your hormones. So today we will be touching on another super important women's health reproductive issue. Today's all about bringing awareness to endometriosis. Endometriosis, in short, is a condition in which the tissue that lines the uterus also grows outside the uterus. It can be extremely painful, cause reproductive issues, and just really impact someone's life in many ways. With the help of Emma, who is a women's health and fertility dietitian, we will aim to really understand what endometriosis is and what approaches we can take to manage this condition better. So let's get into it and welcome back, Emma. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here again. And especially talking about this topic, I just think it is so important and it really is one of the most debilitating conditions that a woman can experience and face. So yeah, yeah, I think it's great that we're talking about this, raising awareness and trying to give some relief to these poor women that are suffering from it. Absolutely. I really, this is a topic that I've been really wanting, you know, I was like, can we talk about this? Because, (laughs) you know, I do think it's something that a lot of women are opening up more about. You see Mm -hmm. it a lot more. A lot of women are speaking about it, speaking about their struggles and getting really raw and honest about it. And I thought, you know, that's amazing. That's incredible. A lot of women used to probably suffer in silence Mm -hmm. with this. And if we can bring awareness to that and also help them to understand what it is, how you can manage it better, what you can do in your daily practices. Yeah. You know, knowledge is power at the end of the day. 100%, so, yeah. yeah. And I think uh, like a lot of women focus on and it, a lot of talk about endometriosis mm-hmm. goes down the more medical Absolutely. route, but there's not really much discussion about mm. other factors that can contribute to it or even help relieve yeah. some of those symptoms. And yeah. there really is a lot of research coming out that shows that diet and lifestyle nutrition really can have a big impact. So yeah, Incredible. I think it's great to be chatting about this. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't wait to get into it. But first to start, <coughs> what is endometriosis? I briefly yeah. <laughs> did like one little sentence in the opening, but I'd love for you to give me more of an in-depth understanding yeah. on what this condition actually is. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much nailed it, but <laughs> so endometriosis really is the abnormal growth of the endometrial tissue outside of the uterus. So it can grow in the pelvic cavity, the bowel, the bladder, but also elsewhere in the body. It's been found in some really unique places. This -hmm. tissue is subject to the hormonal changes throughout the month. So it will thicken and it will inflame and it will bleed. It is quite an inflammatory disease and it often results in scar tissues in these areas, which will contribute to a lot of the pain and suffering that Mm. these, these women might notice. And for some stats, because I love stats. Yeah, I love stats. (laughs) So one in nine women of reproductive age will experience endometriosis. And it is also one of the leading contributors to infertility. In fact, Mm. most women actually 
won't know they have endometriosis until they go down the path of trying to get pregnant and then find out they're having infertility problems and, yeah, basically go down that route and um, end up with a diagnosis of endometriosis. Wow. So Mm. it's really interesting that you say that because, you know, it's crazy that you can have this disorder and not even know. So what are the symptoms and how can we start to identify if that is something that you may be experiencing? Yeah. So often the symptoms are quite severe, but Mm. um, yeah, there are some cases where women actually, you know, they might experience period pain, but think it's just normal a lot of the time where in fact, uh, extreme period pain to that to that degree is not normal. The fact that it is a chronic disease and it is associated with severe and life impacting period pain. So, you know, things like the pain where the pain is so extreme that you're fainting or vomiting, it's it's not pain that can be relieved with just a heat pack or some pain yeah. medication. Yeah, like having to go home from work. And I know I've experienced a lot of really bad period pain in the past, so yeah. I can't even imagine what endometriosis wow. sufferers know, might experience. I thinking yeah. this because I'm like, Far out. When I get bad period pain, it freaking sucks. I couldn't yeah. think of anything worse. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think endometriosis takes it to that next step. So not only will they feel it in the pelvic area, but it can mm-hmm. really expand to anywhere in the abdominal region, the lower back, the legs. And it can also go on throughout the month. So it might not be just in the time when they've got their period. They could notice wow. around ovulation time um, and, and any other times throughout the month. So yeah, it's not as isolated, I guess, to that typical period pain that you might think of. And along with the fertility there, so because of the adhesions and the the blockages, that actually impacts the passage of the the egg Mm. throughout the system where it can start to impact fertility a little bit. Wow. Yeah. And then other things like heavy bleeding, which, you know, can lead to iron deficiency. And yeah, so there's there's a lot of symptoms. But I think the the main identifying factor would be just that debilitating pain that these women are experiencing. Yeah. Gosh, I couldn't. I I know. These (laughs) poor women because. Yeah. You know, period pain sucks. Yeah. And it's it's just a horrible feeling. Yeah. And it does impact your life. And having that, but on a scale far greater would be. Definitely. And, you know, it can take up to seven years for this disease to actually be diagnosed from the onset of symptoms. And I think that's one of the factors because, you know, we're we're kind of Mm. thinking that period pain is normal. Everyone experiences that. Everyone gets that. But yeah, to to this level, to this degree is not normal. And that's Mm. often why there's that delay in the diagnosis because, you know, we think, oh yeah, everyone gets period pain. Exactly. (laughs) So how is it actually diagnosed? Yeah, so because it's a process, I guess. Yes, yeah. it's quite an invasive process. Yeah. So laparoscopic surgery is the the gold standard, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is that the surgeon actually needs to be able to visualize and confirm the endometrial tissue outside of the uterus. Yeah. So they need to go in there and and examine and have a look at it. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, again, that also contributes to why people aren't getting diagnosed quickly because it is a big procedure to take on and Absolutely. not everyone wants to do that. You know, you have to go under general anesthetic. Mm-hmm. And even with my experience with period pain, I was thinking about doing this and looking into it, but I was just yeah. like, it's it's too much. It's yeah. too hard. Like I know. So yeah, I chose obviously to deal with my symptoms in another way, but um, mm-hmm. that is the gold standard is the laparoscopic surgery, unfortunately. Yeah. There is also ultrasound and MRI, which can sometimes detect the the endometriosis, but it's not 100%. So, Mm. yeah, it it can give, I guess, um, insight into what might be going on, but it definitely can miss it as well. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into more of the holistic treatments and and ways to manage Mm -hmm. it, what are the more conventional and medical treatments currently available for endometriosis? 
So I think the first line is always going to be looking at, you know, things like pain and anti-inflammatory medication. Yeah. But often that won't quite cut it for endometriosis yeah. sufferers and they might find that, yeah, the, the pain medication actually isn't really doing too much. Mm-hmm. So then the laparoscopic surgery is, I guess, the the... the biggest procedure to to help relieve some of these symptoms, which is where they actually go in and remove some of okay. that tissue. Yeah. But the issue is with this is that it actually can grow back and mm-hmm. um, it's very common for the surgeon not to get all of it because it is hard and, yeah. you know, it can grow in so many different places. So besides the laparoscopic surgery, another recommendation might be to go on the oral contraceptive pill. Okay. And that's basically to stop you, the woman having that cycle, those cycle changes throughout the mm-hmm. month where the thickening of the lining. And then there is some medication as well, denazole, which is basically an androgen medication. Yeah. And this decreases the hormones which are made by the ovaries, but it has a lot of side effects. And obviously that puts the woman in very androgenic state mm-hmm. uh, where they might be experiencing some of those symptoms. So mm-hmm. yeah, not a lot. <laughs> that sounds very exciting and inviting. Yeah, um, wow. And yeah, I think you know, for this reason, some of the women just don't really want to look into those solutions because they, they yeah. all have side effects and they're yeah. all not great. And even in advanced and really extreme cases, a hysterectomy is sometimes recommended too, yeah, which wow. is, of course, an extremely shocking thing for yeah. a young woman no. to be even having to think about. So yes. many, um, it seems that it's just like a constant cycle of, you know, and you go through the surgery yeah. and knowing yeah. that it could grow back. Definitely. It's just, yeah. it'd be very hard to kind of put yourself through that. 100%. Yeah. And, you know, some women will have multiple surgeries mm. just in attempt to yeah. keep going back and removing some more and removing some more. Yeah. But it, yeah. it, it will just keep growing back and it will keep having those monthly changes and causing mm. those symptoms and side effects unless, you know, you start to really look at the root cause and yeah. some of the things that might be contributing to that mm. and where you can provide support around that. Yeah. Yeah. So what common hormone imbalances are also seen with endometriosis? Yeah, so it is a very estrogen-dominant condition, I guess. So estrogen dominance in itself isn't actually a a diagnosis, but it is a a condition or, well, conditions are characterised by having high Mm. estrogen and um, subsequently low progesterone. So estrogen is a steroid hormone that stimulates the growth of follicles and builds uterine lining and also enhances mucus production. We do need estrogen and it is really Mm -hmm. important, but it's important that it's in balance with progesterone because they really do work as a team. So typically estrogen will peak before ovulation and is dominant in that follicular phase of your cycle and then will drop off after ovulation where the progesterone Mm -hmm. starts to kick in. Uh, But yeah, as I said, people with endometriosis often will have higher circulating estrogen, which is okay. going to contribute to some of those symptoms they might be experiencing. So we did talk a lot more about hormones. So mm-hmm. if anyone's yeah. listening and they want to learn a little bit more about, yeah. you know, what your hormones are, how they should be balanced, what the different types of hormones are, go listen to our last yes, episode because <laughs> we do go a little bit deeper into that as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting to hear about how that imbalance can actually impact Definitely. those with endometriosis and what we really should be looking out for. Mm-hmm. So as you're saying that, if you are suspecting that maybe you have endometriosis and you have a, your blood tests taken and you have high levels of estrogen, yeah. could that be an indicator that, okay, yes, maybe I, you know, I'm moving in the direction that maybe I think now I have endometriosis or is it just... 
it, you know, it can yeah. it be as something you can help diagnose or not? I don't know what Defin- I'm really trying to yeah. I think what I'm trying to say is <laughs> could that be like a starting point of yeah. your further investigations yeah. of do I have endometriosis? Yeah, I think I guess what you're kind of getting at there is looking at the whole um, clinical history of the, yes. the client or the patient yeah. and, yeah, looking at those symptoms, you know, even without a blood test. Mm. But if you're getting symptoms like really heavy bleeding, lots of PMS, headaches, yeah. breast tenderness, mm. then they're all signs that there might be some estrogen dominance yeah. and there might be um, an excess there. Mm. Endometriosis can definitely be present without this okay. estrogen dominance, but yeah. it is a big contributing factor yeah. and it is something that is found more common in endometriosis yeah. sufferers. Okay. Now I want to get on to more of the management side of yeah. things because, you know, we've we've touched on what it is, what are the symptoms, how we kind of work through that. Mm-hmm. But now I want to touch on, you know, like you said before, you really got to get down to the root cause. Yeah. You know, you've got to understand why things may be happening. Mm. And if we can kind of help to manage those conditions better, we're going to have a better outcome. Yeah, you yeah know? definitely. So how can nutrition impact endometriosis and what is the best nutritional approach to managing this? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of ways to look at this. And basically it's important to keep in mind that this is an inflammatory disease. Mm. So I guess the first point of call is looking at a really anti-inflammatory diet. But then along with that and looking at the estrogen dominance, there's a lot of things you can do to kind of bring down the estrogen levels and Mm. support your progesterone to get that in balance as well. So in terms of the anti-inflammatory diet, We really want to be avoiding any foods that are going to potentially have an inflammatory effect on the body. So things that are really highly processed, high in trans fats or added sugars. And there's actually some research that has shown that women with endometriosis tend to have fewer vegetables, consume less fibre and omega-3 polyunsaturated Mm -hmm. fatty acids, whilst having more things like red meat, caffeine, trans fats and alcohol. So all of those things are going to be contributing to that inflammatory state. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think is really important to keep in mind in, with this is if there's any potential intolerances that are going on in the body. So, you know, testing for things like gluten and dairy intolerance yeah. that maybe haven't been identified and diagnosed yet and avoiding those foods that might be contributing to that inflammation mm-hmm. there. Yeah. In saying this, though, it is, you know, I'm not saying you can't have things like coffee or alcohol or anything, no. but it's important to look at the overall picture. So. Mm-hmm. It's it's about okay looking at okay what food am I mostly eating yes. and what we mostly be wanting to have is things like vegetables, mm. quality protein, good quality fats, and really just focusing on those whole foods that aren't aren't processed and yeah. um, found in in the packaged section of the the supermarket. Yeah. So yeah, just really getting back to those whole foods. It's really all about balance, you know. Yeah. We're- we're always going to want to eat these things. Exactly. You yeah. know, they're part of our life. You yeah. know, they're, they're everywhere we look. <laughs> I had We're, pizza the other night. Exactly. Fine. So did I. It was great. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it, like you said, it's what you're having in the majority. Yeah. So, you know, if you're every day, if you're making a conscious effort to yeah. incorporate those whole foods, mm-hmm. to incorporate those lean proteins and yeah. those, you know, really high quality yeah. vegetables and fiber and all of these great antioxidant rich fruits. Yes, all definitely. of this stuff, you yeah. know, and, and you're drinking water and you're doing all that. It doesn't matter if you're also having you know, maybe a coffee in the morning or, you know, tomorrow night you're going out for dinner with the girls and you're going to have a big pizza and and, and a glass of wine. Exactly. Like that is okay. And it's all about the majority, what you're having on your plate and a balance. And, you know, 
just ha- looking at things from a whole and being like, Definitely. all right, but what am I eating most of the time? Yeah. And if most of the time you're eating the stuff that you just went through, mm-hmm. then maybe you need to reevaluate and be like, okay, yeah. doesn't mean I can't have these things. Yeah. I can still have them. I can still enjoy Definitely. them. But I'm going to look at what I can incorporate, what I can have more of mm-hmm. to kind of have that most in my yeah. diet. Yeah. And then enjoy these things in moderation. Definitely. And that's that's the best way to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... I think looking at that overall picture and, mm. yeah, like you mentioned with the antioxidants, having a diet that is really rich in those antioxidants, yeah. so fruits, vegetables, good quality yeah. olive oil, herbs and spices, they're all yeah. going to help to have that, you know, anti-inflammatory mm. effect on the body. And then alongside things like omega-3 fatty acids to rebalance yeah. the omega-3 and 6 ratio and just kind of have a counter-inflammation effect there. Yeah, really important. You know, those mm. things are like oily fish, so salmon, trout, mackerel, chia seeds, yeah. flax seeds, walnuts. And then also looking at supplementation potentially yeah. if um, you're, you're feeling like you might be a bit low in those mm. omega-3s. But, yeah, there, I think there's just so much we can kind of contribute to our overall diet and mostly focus on these foods. Absolutely. I think a good place to start for anyone wanting to just experiment with this before they maybe see a dietitian or a nutritionist or whatever is look at a Mediterranean diet and take inspiration from that because I do think it is such a great dietary pattern to follow but also a lifestyle as well. And, you know, if you do feel like maybe there's excess inflammation, maybe – you know, you want to start addressing your reproductive issues. Yeah. Look at a Mediterranean diet and kind of start mimicking that. Yeah. And then go from there and see how you feel. Because like you said, it's got all of those great mm-hmm. foods. It's got, you know, your omega-3s. It's got yeah. your antioxidants. It's got, you know, your wholesome veggies. And it's yeah. lower in your red meats, yeah. but also processed, processed foods. foods. And, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, that's Definitely. a good place to kind of pick inspiration from. So, 100%. Yeah. And, yeah, so I think the Mediterranean diet and, mm. you know, really focusing on those omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah. And then if we also start to look at it from the estrogen point of view and balancing, yeah. um, we spoke a bit, a bit about this in the last episode mm. too, but really supporting the body to remove that excess estrogen. Yeah. And one of the ways we can do that is actually through Chris's cruciferous vegetables mm. <laughs> I'm saying that I word. know I always say I always say it really slow because I'm like yeah I'm like, how do I say this bloody word I should know this gotta remember it <laughs> so that's things like cauliflower cabbage kale bok choy um, these foods actually contain an antioxidant which helps support the liver in the first stage of the estrogen metabolism and removal mm. process so right. yeah this is kind of new research and it's um unsure you know you, I can't say exactly how much you should be having yeah. of each of these foods but really just trying to include them um and, and along with fiber as well fiber is yeah. so important and you know excess estrogen is removed from your body through regular bowel motions yeah. so just making sure you're getting that fiber in and having those regular bowel motions to avoid the estrogen being reabsorbed and reactivated back into the body add them into your smoothies add them into yep. your foods eat them raw (laughs) just get them in yes definitely. yeah Yeah. so let's talk about so we've kind of gone through nutrition Mm -hmm. and and you know how to eat and what to avoid and what we need more of um but how does also lifestyle impact endometriosis and what should we be doing and not doing and you know because that's what we do every day that's part of our routine (laughs) so you know if we can start adopting healthier habits within our lifestyle that's also going to benefit you know, our body. So sure. yeah, what are your recommendations? Yeah. So I guess 
Uh, in terms of lifestyle, it really comes to focusing on rebalancing the estrogen and progesterone and mm-hmm. getting getting your estrogen down. And the biggest factor here is, like we spoke in the last one, is stress reduction. Yeah. And, you know, it can seem if any endometriosis sufferers are listening to this and thinking, oh, you're just telling me to re- reduce my stress and, yeah. and all this will go away. Like, what? That seems so simple. <laughs> but I'm not saying that that alone, but it definitely can have a big mm-hmm. impact. And it might seem like a trivial thing, but it is yeah. actually so important. And, you know, really just trying to slow down and not overcommit yourself and not kind yeah. of be bouncing from one to one thing to the next and just taking some time for yourself and really trying to get those cortisol levels down because when our body yeah. is in a high stress state, it's got excess or high amounts of cortisol running around and our body's actually going to prioritise producing that cortisol over the progesterone and that's where the imbalance can start to come into effect. Yeah, so I think stress is really important. But there's also things, so endocrine disruptive chemicals that we can find in our environment and basically these chemicals are going to impact the hormonal system in the body and Mm -hmm. uh, even mimic estrogen and contribute to the body the body's estrogen dominance, I guess. Mm -hmm. So yeah, these chemicals can be found in things like food packaging and containers, some water bottles, cosmetics, hair care, makeup, perfume, like there's a lot, there's a lot in the environment. And when, you know, when I list off all those things, it's like, oh my gosh, how can I remove everything? Mm. But the answer is that you can't. And so it's just really important to think about, okay, what can I control and how can I minimize my exposure to some of these chemicals? So that might look like switching your water bottle to a stainless steel or a glass bottle, avoiding that plastic, reheating food in glass or ceramic containers and not the plastic ones, and then minimising any food packaging choices. So, you know, maybe shopping at like bulk food stores or even when you get home from the shop and you've got a plastic container, just taking out the contents and putting it into a glass container instead of leaving Mm. it in the plastic that way. But yeah, there are a lot of chemicals and endocrine disruptors in our environment so it's just about looking at those and looking at ways to potentially minimize and reduce that but if if you're focusing more on those whole foods rather than the processed and packaged Mm -hmm. ones then you're naturally going to be doing that anyway yeah yeah so it kind of goes hand in hand yeah Yeah. and like you said with a lot of the stuff you can't control everything you know there are certain things that are just you can't change a lot of things but there are things we do have control over Definitely. and we can start little bit by little bit and it does yeah. make a difference. Yeah. You know, it does because it's one less thing you're putting into or on your body mm-hmm. and that's going to make a huge difference, yeah. you know. So For it's all sure. about the little changes, I guess. Yeah, and I think it's just about that having that awareness and just yeah. knowing that, yeah, there are things in the environment that might be contributing mm. to this or having a bit of an influence. So, okay, what yeah. can I what can I potentially reduce or what can I swap for a different product or just just starting to look yeah. into it and having that awareness. Mm. Yeah. What about supplements? Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about we want those healthy fats and, you know, we want to support the body naturally. Yeah. If someone was looking at increasing or, you know, introducing a new supplement to kind of support the endometriosis, mm. reducing the pain, all of that, what would you be looking at and do they actually play a role? Yeah, so 
I guess there's no official guidelines or no mm-hmm. official things that you can say, yeah, take this for endometriosis. Yes. It will make it all better. Yeah, oh, but, I wish. Yeah, <laughs> I wish. Wouldn't that be good? Basically, the supplements are aimed at reducing the inflammation, so trying yeah. to move the body from that inflammatory state into, I guess, non-inflammatory state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but zinc is shown to be really beneficial for period pain and yeah. also supporting the body's natural immune response and mm-hmm. inflammation levels. And then there's magnesium, which is a super essential mm-hmm. mineral and is involved in so many different processes. My favourite. Yeah. <laughs> every episode I think I've talked about magnesium. magnesium. Yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is, I guess, when I work with clients, this is like yeah. one of the first things I recommend too. Yeah. But um, yeah, basically magnesium is involved in so many different processes in the body mm-hmm. and it works to really relax those muscles and reduce the cramping, but also supporting a healthy stress response, which can yeah. also be seen in the, that endometriosis or estrogen dominant state, the yeah anxiety yeah. and stress, high stress yeah. levels. So just supporting that. And then the last one, well, there's actually, there's a lot, but the last yeah. one I'll talk about today <laughs> is omega-3. So like I touched on before, um, yeah. having that anti-inflammatory effect and yeah, mm-hmm. trying to support the body in that way. So if there was one thing that you would want someone to do right now who is experiencing endometriosis, what would that one thing be to start? You know, it's obviously Mm going to open up a whole can of words, but, you know, what is one thing that they should be doing right now to kind of start this whole new Mm -hmm. holistic approach to healing and, and kind of managing their endometriosis better? Yeah. Might sound a bit broad, but I would say just starting to look at the overall food that you're eating and really yeah. trying to reduce the processed food and increase the whole food. So focusing mm-hmm. on, you know, it can be home cooking, but I know that's hard for a lot of people yeah. and that it might not have the time, but really trying to focus on, on home-cooked meals, getting some good quality fats and protein in, mm-hmm. lots of veggies and lots of fruit to bump up the fibre. But then also having an open mind in terms of treatment. So Yes, you might go to your doctor and be told about some of those treatment options that we spoke about earlier, but and taking that in and thinking, okay, that's that is one component of it, mm-hmm. but what else can I be doing in terms of my diet and lifestyle? It really is about mixing yeah. all three together. And some women may still have to go down those pathways because the the pain can be so debilitating that they yeah. have to do some of that surgery to to you know reduce those symptoms but it could be coupling that surgery alongside those diet and lifestyle changes to kind of really be coming at this from multiple angles yeah yeah and that's kind of the best way to move forward with any kind of healing I think you know no matter what's going on no matter what condition you have Mm -hmm. I think you always need to tackle it yeah. you know, through all angles, yeah. you know, speak mm-hmm. to your doctor, speak to, you know, and also, and then look at, you know, what am I doing with my diet? What am yeah. I doing with my lifestyle? Yeah. How are my stress levels? You know, look at everything mm-hmm. from a whole point That's of view right. because there are so many ways you can heal your body. Yeah. And, you know, if something is impacting you and impacting your life, you need to come at it. Yeah. Guns blazing and, <laughs> and look at everything. So, For sure. Yeah. And especially like with this disease because it, it, yeah. it just impacts so much and like, you know, yeah. it's so much of your of your monthly cycle where you're experiencing this pain and so mm. it's it's not normal. And, yeah, if women are experiencing this, yeah. you know, there is hope to control some of these symptoms and get mm. back into your way of life and re- reduce the impact it's having. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Beautiful. Well, thank you so much oh, no for worries. all of that. I feel like I've learned a lot. Oh, um, that's good. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> have learned so much from today's yeah. uh, podcast and I'm sure there'll be so many women yeah. who are listening who are going to be like, okay, I'm yeah. going to take a different angle or I've learned something new about it. So that's thank you good. for coming on and sharing this with us. Yeah, you're yeah. such a ray of sunshine. I just oh. love chatting with you. You're great. <laughs> it's so. always always so much fun coming here. So, yeah. yeah. So you guys have to make sure you go and follow Emma. What will your yes. Instagram handle? Yeah, so my Instagram is at Emma Krieg Nutrition and it's spelled K-R-I-E-G. I know that's a common misspelling <laughs> error. And then my website is Emma Krieg Nutrition as well, so www.emmakriegnutrition.com.au. And, yeah, basically the website and the Instagram, reach out to me there. If you ever have any any questions, feel free to DM and ask me or comment. Um, I, I really want to, you know, have an open conversation about all this stuff and help women as much as Amazing. I can. Yeah. And Emma does consultations and yes. you focus on women's health and fertility. So, yeah, yeah. check her out, guys, because she's amazing. <laughs> oh, so thank, thank you. you so much for today. No worries. Of course. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I hope you have taken even just one piece of wisdom from this episode that you can apply to your life to help you grow and be a happier and healthier version of you. Please like, subscribe and make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Sending lots of love to you all. Bye.